You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. Sometimes people joke about first world problems, those trivial frustrations that people complain about in developed countries like the U.S. Today was miserable. My air conditioning, it was not blowing Arctic air. We find these ridiculous things to to complain about. And there are actually big problems in the world. One article from a political and social website gave a list of the top five global concerns or global problems, wealth inequality, famine, homelessness, disease, and war. According to this article, 71% of the world's population earns less than $10 a day. Around 690 million people suffer a calorie and protein deficiency. 3.1 million children die every year because of hunger and malnutrition. 150 million people are homeless and likely over a billion more live in slums or sketchy housing. 1.5 million children die from preventable uh, diseases every year. Since Russia has invaded Ukraine, an estimated 9,000 civilians, including 500 children, have been killed. And the article also mentions racism, sexism, and ageism, among other things. Big problems. Now, if all these problems were solved, the world would be so much better to live in, right? And though the writer mentions of this article mentions the problems of human vices such as laziness, selfishness, ignorance, and hatred, one big problem isn't mentioned. God's righteous judgment. If every external problem was solved, but the internal problem of the human heart was not solved and man was not reconciled to God, where would everyone be? Paul said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Human beings naturally suppress the truth about their biggest problem and its only solution. Friends, if we don't understand our biggest problem, we won't understand how Jesus' suffering connects to us. We won't really know how to love people. Jesus will seem irrelevant and we will just spin our wheels trying to figure out how to solve all the lesser problems while ignoring our biggest problem, God's righteous judgment. When there's a gas leak in your house, it's probably not your primary concern to vacuum the dirty floor. Do that after you address the gas leak. But here's something amazing. When you address your sin problem and God's judgment with faith in the gospel and repentance from sin, faith in Christ allows you to address the lesser problems of the world with truth, wisdom, honesty, courage, and perseverance to the glory of God. The gospel brings confidence and comfort 
to your heart so that you are then free to address the problems that you face and to love people while you do. Think about your most painful problems right now. Your your most challenging problems. The suffering of Jesus can help you through those problems as you walk by the Spirit. The gospel addresses your biggest problem. And and when that problem is solved, you're able to best work through then all the other lesser problems. So, So you say, we confess that you say that you believe that Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. Wonderful, I'm glad that you confess that. Do you know how that truth helps you work through the problems that you face? You need the confidence and comfort of the gospel to work through the problems in your life with truth, wisdom, and patience, and love, and persistence, and great care. So here's where I'm headed. Your confidence and comfort in life is that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate to spare you from God's judgment and bring you to God. Your confidence and comfort in life is that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate to spare you from God's judgment and bring you to God. Through faith alone, the gospel alleviates your greatest burden, your greatest problem, God's judgment, and liberates you to then work through the other problems in your life with confidence and comfort and joy. So I want to lead you to Jesus this morning to find in him the immense confidence and comfort to the point that your soul can actually be at peace, can actually rest, and that you can address the problems of your life effectively to the glory of God. So here here we go. Though righteous and innocent, Jesus was delivered up to the Gentiles, just as he had said He had stated it plainly to his disciples on the way to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And that's what happened at the end of Matthew 26. And deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And today, we're seeing that happen according to God's sovereign plan. Pilate was a Gentile. He was the governor a powerful governor in Judea. And verse 2 explains that the chief priests and elders bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the, excuse me, the governor. Verse 11 says, now Jesus stood before the governor. Jesus understood what it meant to stand before Pontius Pilate. He understood his crucifixion was near. He had prepared for these moments his entire life. And folks, he came for these moments. And as he stood there, Jesus continued to bear in his body and soul God's just wrath against human sinfulness. As a priest, as he suffered, he was offering himself to God as the sacrifice for sin. You know child sacrifice still happens today? In Uganda, financially struggling people can offer a child to the spirits through a witch doctor in order to gain prosperity. That's a shocking example of works-based religion where someone seeks to improve their life 
by their own efforts. And in America, people are driven by the same works-based philosophy as if human effort or sacrifice was the answer to life's problems. However, the gospel is about God providing the sacrifice for us. The The gospel is about God doing the work for us. The gospel is about God unilaterally rescuing sinners from his divine judgment by giving his only son in their place. The chief priests and elders delivered Jesus to the Gentiles to be killed, absolutely. However, Romans 8, 32 says that the father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God delivered his son to be killed For our trespasses, Romans 4.25, the son was in complete agreement. Jesus was not the victim of some sinister plot that was out of his control, far from it. Jesus delivered himself up as the only atoning sacrifice that could redeem you and me from everlasting damnation and earn for us God's grace and righteousness and eternal life. Jesus stood before Pilate to give himself up in order to reconcile you to God. Galatians 1.4 says that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. As he stood before Pilate, he was delivering us. That's what he was, he was doing. He was active. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. And he did so for a, for a noble reason. Though righteous and innocent, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Jesus stood before Pilate, who then asked him a question. Verse 11, are you the king of the Jews? That that takes us back to the Gentile wise men asking the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? He was not the king of the Jews in the sense that he was leading a military conquest. He was the king of the Jews in the sense that he was about to be crucified for the salvation and eternal life of God's covenant people to rescue and defend them through a very different way, suffering and death. And I'm not sure that a plain yes or no would have been clear and understood. Jesus answered Pilate, you have said so. That was an indirect affirmation. Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, a poor man without armor, weapons, and an army. And I don't think Pilate felt threatened. I don't think he felt threatened at all. Neither did Pilate understand that he was in the presence of the king of kings, who was at that moment divinely upholding the universe with the word of his power while giving himself for the redemption of the world. Pilate heard the accusations from the Jewish leaders and accused Jesus, and asked Jesus rather, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? Of course Jesus heard their ridiculous accusations and allegations. He just didn't find any need to defend himself. Jesus didn't respond to even one single charge, and Pilate was awestruck, amazed that he's not talking. Now consider this, at that moment, Would conclusive evidence for his innocence have made any difference to people who obstinately refused to hear and see the truth? 
Would it have made any difference? Well, at Passover, it was customary to release a a prisoner chosen by the people. They could have one of their own back that Rome would have released for them. And the Romans held this certain notorious uh, prisoner, a, a violent rebel named Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer and part of an insurrection against Rome. Jesus was also detained. Perhaps Pilate could avoid this travesty of justice if the people selected Jesus. Well, earlier, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent a message to him. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now, she knew Jesus was righteous. She knew he was innocent. But notice that she didn't tell her husband to release him, didn't tell her husband to follow him. Actually, she suffered because of him. And she said, have nothing to do with him. Her words were less than faith-filled and were at least in the back of her husband's mind. That righteous man. That righteous man. Pilate saw nothing threatening about Jesus, nor did he think that Jesus had any guilt, that he was guilty of anything. He believed the Jewish leaders were envious of Jesus, and they were, so he presented a choice. Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ, the murderer or the guy who loved and served you? Who do you want to kill? Tough choice. Phew. And asking that question showed that justice was not Pilate's concern. The Jewish leaders stirred up the crowd. Pilate came back with the same question. Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Was he stalling at this point? Barabbas was their choice, having the authority to administer true justice that was in his power. Pilate came back with, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Why ask that unnecessary question? Just do what is right, man. Let him be crucified. And knowing Jesus' innocence, Pilate asked, why? What evil has he done? The one who found no justifiable reason to execute Jesus, the one who could justly release Jesus, caved under pressure and turned a blind eye to justice. Pilate was getting nowhere. The crowd was growing increasingly disturbed would they riot here so Pilate took some water and he washed his hands of the whole thing as an act of absolving himself from any guilt or responsibility he said I am innocent of this man's blood see to it yourself could Pilate absolve himself of his guilt I think it's a fair question no No, Pilate didn't care about truth or justice. Pilate abdicated his position in power, the position in power that God had providentially given him. He pardoned Barabbas, and instead of making a just ruling on Jesus, Pilate had Jesus flogged and delivered to be crucified. Without even a shred of evidence of guilt, Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. Pilate was most certainly not innocent. Now, some wrongly read this and think that that Pilate was innocent. He didn't have Jesus' blood on his hands. Washing his hands could not remove his guilt. Two things confirm this. John recorded that Jesus told Pilate, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin, which implies what? 
Pilate was sinning. And the Romans would eventually be sinning as well in in the whole process. Secondly, in Acts 2, Peter preached to Jews, this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, implying that Pilate and the Romans were lawless men. Pilate wasn't screaming out, let him be crucified, but he was allowing the crucifixion of a righteous and innocent man. J.C. Ryle said, quote, the praise of man is the idol before which they bow down, and to that idol they sacrifice conscience, inward peace, and an immortal soul, end quote. Pilate represented Rome. He had power. Pilate felt the pressure of the crowd and he didn't want to fail and Pilate bowed to the idol of man and he sacrificed his own conscience, inward peace, and life. God had given Pilate governing authority and Pilate misused that governing authority. His biggest problem wasn't a riot. His biggest problem was God's righteous judgment. And Ryle said, Let us strive to please God, and then we may care little who else is pleased. Let us fear God, and then there is none else of whom we need be afraid. And that applies to every single problem that we face. Let us fear God above all, so that our primary concern in all of life is pleasing Him. And then we are best positioned, if that is our attitude, to work through the lesser problems of this life that we face. So Pilate was responsible for Jesus' suffering, as were the Jewish leaders and the Jewish crowd. Though righteous and innocent, Jesus suffered the scorn of his own people. John 1.11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. And he came to the Jews, and they did not receive him by faith. He was foolishness to the Gentiles, and he was a stumbling block to the Jews. Isaiah was exactly right. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So scan over for a bit, verses 11 through 26, and notice how the Jews, God's covenant nation, responded to Jesus. Verse 12, the chief priests and elders continued to falsely accuse him. He gave no answer, no defense, in fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7. Verse 18, they envied Jesus. Verse 20, the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. They lusted for the Messiah's blood. When asked what Pilate should do with Jesus, in verse 22, the leaders in the crowd shouted, let him be crucified. When asked to present some accusation or evidence of an evil act, they shouted all the more, without giving a good answer, let him be crucified. In verse 24, God's people were actually becoming riotous. And then the people said, one of the most haunting, one of the most chilling and appalling things written in the Bible. They actually said, his blood be on us and on our children. Folks, that's scary. Now, while studying this passage, I I found out that people actually use verse 25 as an argument for anti-Semitism. 
And I find that absolutely ridiculous. First, Jesus is Jewish. Second, Jews wrote the Bible, the New Testament, a large part of it. Third, yes, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish crowd did lust for Jesus' blood. And yes, God's judgment was upon the nation of Israel, which, we, which Jesus explained earlier in Matthew. But Pilate delivered him over to be crucified, and Roman soldiers crucified him. Jews and Gentiles, as Scripture clearly explained, uh, are responsible for the death of God's Son. And in a general sense, we're all responsible for the death of God's Son because of our sinfulness. To use verse 25 as justification for anti-Semitism is ignorant and utterly foolish and ridiculous. Folks, sin blinds people to the vileness of rebellion against God and to the immensity of God's righteous judgment. Do you think that God was pleased at how the Jews and Gentiles were treating his beloved son? Friends, peer pressure and group think um, are powerful influences over us. Uh, it, it can be good, but often it is really bad. But the more, a per please listen carefully to this, but the more a person fears God, the more a person fears God's judgment, the more a person delights in God's mercy and grace, the less likely they are to join the crowd in unrighteousness and wickedness. When your comfort in life is that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate to spare you from God's judgment and to bring you to God, negative peer pressure or negative groupthink is less likely uh, to influence you to do the wrong thing. You fear God more than man? It's amazing what you're willing, the lengths that you're willing to go to to do what is right. It's when you don't fear God, when you don't fear his judgment, when you don't delight in his mercy and grace, that you compromise, that you blend in, that you just go with the flow. And then you pursue worldly solutions to your biggest problems. And you find no rest or peace or comfort or anything of the sort, no real solutions to the problems because you're ignoring the biggest problem because you're not fearing God. And so fearing God is what helps us pursue that which is right, which helps us pursue the answers to not only our biggest problem, but also the lesser problems that we face. The gospel rescues us from God's judgment and frees us to pursue that which is true, that which is wise and pure and just and equitable and noble and good, whatever the cost. Our biggest problem is not being rejected by men, but being rejected by God. Our biggest problem is not being wrongly treated by men, but being outside the mercy and grace of God. Our biggest problem is not being hated by the world or having a bad marriage, or having rebellious children, or hating our job, or even losing friends, our biggest problem is God's righteous judgment, which we all deserve and will not escape apart from the gospel. Your confidence and comfort in life is that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate to spare you from God's judgment and to bring you to God. You need that peace. 
comfort and joy to face the problems of your life. And how do you think you'll face the problems of your life without that peace? You won't. You'll be destroyed. You won't have any clue how to handle life. Psalm 22.6 is ultimately about Jesus, and it says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Jesus, precious Jesus, was scorned by the world in order that you would not be scorned by God. When you're accepted, when you're loved by God, because of the merits of Christ granted to you through faith, when you possess the spirit of Christ, what problem do you have that God will not help you through? What problem? Can you think of one? Or he'll just leave you alone? Listen to the confidence and comfort Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 gives you believers it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't that what you need? Mercy and grace in your time of need? Draw near to the throne of grace and take it. By faith, the weakness and suffering of Jesus Christ is directly connected to your weakness, need, suffering, and he can help you like no one else can help you. Draw near to his throne of grace for help, for help to work through your greatest problems. All right, though righteous and innocent, Jesus was condemned as if unrighteous. Verse 3 says that Judas saw that Jesus was condemned. How that must have hit him. After the high priest tore his robe, Mark recounts that they all condemned him as deserving death. After the resurrection and on the road to Emmaus, uh, the two disciples talked with Jesus, but they didn't recognize him. If you remember the scene, and they told him, our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucify him. Jesus was righteous. Jesus was innocent, yet Jesus still suffered under Pontius Pilate. Why did this happen? And the, the prophet Isaiah explains very well why this happened. In Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now you've got to understand this. The Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Our sin was imputed or credited to Jesus as if he was the one who deserved condemnation. And Paul gets at this very thing in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he said, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And I want to zero in on an important phrase from 1 Peter 3.18. Peter said this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. Please understand that. Christ suffered physical, mental, and spiritual pain for our sins as if he 
was unrighteous. The word for in 1 Peter 3.18 means on behalf of or instead of Jesus the righteous suffered for sins on behalf of the unrighteous. He was taking the griefs, the burdens, and the failures of the unrighteous upon himself as he suffered for them. The righteous one suffered for the unrighteous ones. This integral truth of the gospel, folks, it makes absolutely no sense if God does not justly judge and punish the unrighteous for their sins. And it just makes no sense. The suffering of Jesus under Pontius Pilate means absolutely nothing if God does not condemn the unrighteous. But Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate to be condemned for the unrighteous in order for them to be accepted and loved by God. This is the gospel. Now, oftentimes, let's be honest, folks, you have stories and I have stories. Sometimes we deserve to be condemned by earthly judges. Parking violations, speeding tickets, sometimes worse crimes. You know you've done them. Maybe you got off. Doesn't mean you're not guilty. Even more, we deserve God's judgment. God's condemnation. But to know that Jesus, the righteous, suffered for the unrighteous, frees us to suffer with Christ unto eternal life and unto glorification with Christ. When we identify with Jesus in his suffering, please understand what this means. When we suffer for his sake, when we suffer for righteousness' sake, it makes all the difference in how we work through the problems of life because we are actually identifying with the Christ in our suffering. It's solidarity with him, the Christ. We are his fellow heirs, but it says provided that we suffer with him. Now last week we we sang one of my favorite songs, his robes for mine, and one of the verses goes like this, his robes for mine, such anguish, none can know. Christ, God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. He As though I, accursed and left alone, I, as though he, embraced and welcomed home. Folks, that's the glory and goodness of the gospel. Christ suffered anguish under Pontius Pilate. Christ bore the injustice of Pilate while also bearing God's just wrath. Christ was God's beloved son, and yet Christ was condemned as though he was God's worst enemy. Christ took our place as the accursed. Christ was forsaken by God, though he deserved the favor of God. God's righteous judgment is integral to the gospel. We must understand it. We have no gospel if God is not just and wrathful toward lawbreakers. Brothers and sisters, it is because Christ was condemned as God's foe that you and I are embraced by God and welcomed home as his children. Now, there are professing Christians today who reject the idea of God's judgment. They just don't go there. And they don't know God. I'm not sure they are Christians. And they don't know why the cross and resurrection are good news because they don't know the judgment of God that was supposed to be on them. 
They don't know God. They don't know the, the truth of the gospel. And therefore, their Jesus is so small and insignificant and lacks power to do anything of real might and goodness. See, though righteous and innocent, Jesus suffered God's judgment. And if we can't confess that and say that and believe that and find comfort and hope in that, we don't know God. Isaiah 53.10 says, It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And this is why Jesus sweat great drops of blood. The cup that he drank was a cup of God's judgment. And this is why Jesus said while dying on the cross, my God, my God, you know it. Why have you forsaken me? God crushed Jesus with his holy judgment, vengeance, and wrath upon the cross. God subjected his only son to immense grief in order to raise him from the dead, thus vindicating his righteousness in order to what? To give all of his people eternal life in Christ. He didn't stay down. He's alive. And I think one of the biggest problems in American Christianity today is many in the church don't want to think about or talk about God's judgment. And they don't realize that not thinking about or not talking about God's judgment leaves people ignorance of the beauty and significance of the suffering of Jesus Christ. Erase God's judgment from the story and the suffering of Jesus under Pontius Pilate means nothing and accomplishes nothing. We don't value him. We need to understand God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's justice, God's goodness, and God's beauty in order to understand the significance and beauty and goodness and joy and hope of the suffering of Christ who suffered earthly injustice while also suffering heavenly justice. Divine justice against wickedness that he was taking on himself. The cross is Jesus suffering both human injustice and divine justice in order to what? In order to bring you to God. And when that gospel sinks in, folks, when you get that gospel in here and that is your breath, well, then you have an entirely new perspective on how you approach the problems of your life. And when you believe the gospel, you have truth and wisdom and strength and fortitude and power to work through the problems of your life. Now, let's bring it all together. Though righteous and innocent, Jesus suffered to spare you from God's judgment and bring you to God. That must be your confidence and comfort in life. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate to reconcile you to God. Now, this is uh, 1 Peter 3, 18 again. Listen, listen again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now, listen to what Peter added. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate to bring you to God. And if you have been brought to God, the problems that you face in this life will not be too much for you. God will help you through because Jesus suffered for you. Now, Christians have a way of focusing on the physical pain of Jesus 
They're, they're just, uh, tell me the de- grisly details of the cross and how that, and it, it, it's this physical thing. Uh, please don't do that. Of course he suffered physically. There's something much bigger going on than physical suffering because lots of people endured the suffering of a cross. There's something bigger going on that's more significant. Our focus must not be on the physical pain of Jesus, but must be on the meaning of Christ's body and soul suffering for us. What does his body and soul suffering do for us? Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate so that Romans 8, could, 8, 1 could be true of you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the righteous, suffered for you, the unrighteous, in order to spare you from God's condemnation and bring you to God, to reconcile you to God, to make you heirs of God, to give you the kingdom of God. And that makes all the difference then in how you approach, how you work through the problems that you face in your life. Consider this. Every single one of those Jewish leaders who falsely condemned Jesus will stand before Jesus the judge. Every single one of those those people who shouted out, let him be crucified, will stand before Jesus the judge. Pilate, who had many things on his mind in those moments, when he delivered Jesus over to be crucified, will stand before Jesus The judge, the Roman soldiers who flogged him, slapped him, punched him, gambled for his clothes and pierced his hands and feet with the nails will stand before him, the judge. What will they have on that day to spare them from their biggest problem? God's righteous and awful judgment. Brothers and sisters, you have a defense when you stand before Jesus, the judge. You have a defense before God. The suffering, righteousness, goodness, mercy, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus the Christ, who is your advocate, who is your defense. Jesus is your defense before God. Jesus is your justification. Jesus is your righteousness. So you can live your life knowing that your biggest problem is solved. Hallelujah. Solved, taken care of in Christ. All right, the gas leak has been taken care of. Let's get to cleaning the dirty carpet. It gives you all kinds, uh, just, uh, just a new perspective on how to handle your biggest problems in life then because your biggest one is solved. That's at rest. You're justified in Christ. Boy, what a difference that makes. Let me, let me bring it all together for you here. Hebrews, or uh, Heidelberg 37 asks, what do you confess when you say that he suffered? And what have we been studying in the Gospel of Matthew? His suffering has meaning for us. What does it mean? Heidelberg 37 answers, during all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus, by his suffering, as the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us the grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. That's a massively comforting truth, a truth that gives confidence as we work through our problems. And then Heidelberg 38 asks, why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? And that's exactly what we're studying in Matthew 27. 
See, see, the Heidelberg is simply helping us understand the depths and the riches of, of the gospel presented in Scripture. Scripture is the authority. Heidelberg 38 answers this, Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge. Yes, he was, wasn't he? Wrongly. But the second part of it is where it, it just connects to you. And so he freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Do you understand what Matthew is writing? Do do you understand what I've been trying to explain for you? Your confidence and comfort in life is that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate in order to spare you from God's judgment and bring you to God. Jesus was innocent, yet he was condemned by an earthly judge, and because he was His suffering has freed even you from God's severe judgment that you deserve. His suffering is your salvation. His condemnation is your absolution. His being judged is your being freed. His death is your life. Now, your sinus gave three reasons or three causes which moved God to give his son for you. And these are three reasons that moved God to subject his son to such horrific suffering for your sake. What moved God? It is right to say as well that these things moved the son himself to give himself for you. Here are the three things that your sinus notes. One, his love towards the human race. Two, the compassion of God towards those who were fallen in sin and death. Love compassion. The third, the desire and purpose of God to revenge and repair the injury of the devil, who in contempt and reproach of God turned us from the Most High and spoiled his image in us. So God's love, folks, cannot be understood apart from God's holiness and righteous judgment. You just will have no idea what his love means. God's compassion cannot be understood apart from human sinfulness and God's just condemnation of sinners. God's kindness cannot be understood apart from God revenging and repairing the horrific evils of the devil and those who do his work. God sent his only begotten son to earth to suffer in order to restore the image of God in us. In you and in me, in order that we might be brought to God, in order that we may thrive in the presence of God forever. And this makes all the difference in how you begin to work through your problems in this life. Makes all the difference. And this this is so helpful and and so meaningful as you're just gut-wrenching yourself through the, the pains of your life. So think about for a moment your greatest problems in this life? Where, where are you beat down? Where are you struggling? Where are you hurting? Think of those biggest problems. Think of the pain that you experience in those problems. Think of your confusion in those problems. Think of your anxiety and your fear in those problems. The gospel of Jesus suffering under Pontius Pilate meets you right where you are. Right where you are to help you, to give you truth and wisdom and strength and perseverance as you work through those greatest problems. The gospel meets you right where you are. You need the Holy Spirit to help you apply the gospel to those greatest problems. 
You need the spirit. So, so I'm calling you, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Receive it enthusiastically as it is read for you. Re- receive it enthusiastically as it is preached for you. Receive the gospel in the sacraments. Receive the gospel in your devotional time and prayer time. Ask Jesus for help. And experience the transforming power of the gospel.